Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right. The countdown's on, people. You know, we did this last year, but there's been too much going on this year, so we haven't done it. Last year was the 100th rivalry game. Well, depending on which school you believe. But anyway, you get the point. 100 rivalry games. And we did 100 days to 100 games. And now we're inside the 100. We're inside three months now. It was three months from yesterday to the BYU-Utah game. And I think as we see the news roll in, uh, it just becomes more and more real that this is going to happen and it's going to happen on time. And I think we're getting used to whatever the, the new normal is. Uh, you know, there could be a second wave and it, it could shut everything down. But I think that we're getting... Um, we're, there's a combination of things going on. I think we're getting more used to um, the sickness. And honestly, I think we're getting more used to the death totals. You know, they, they climb by a thousand or so every day. Um, they don't seem to affect very many people at all that are the age of college athletes. So while people who are high risk, whether because of age or because of physical condition, have to be careful, um, it seems like football's going ahead. And we had Brian Keel on uh, yesterday, and he was talking about how football players are not risk averse or they wouldn't be football players. You know, So while they will have their concerns coming back, they, those concerns will be addressed to some degree, and the mentality is they will come back for both college and pro players. Um, so things can change. Things can always change. But, boy, the momentum really seems to be building. And I get that some of you may not like that, and may think it's going to be incredibly dangerous to have these guys you know, breathing on each other during games um, in close quarters. And, and I get that, but it seems like it's, it's coming. Um, I think the people who really aren't getting discussed here, you know, if you're healthy, no problem, get after it. If you're not healthy, be careful. I think the gray area that isn't getting discussed here is what about the people who are healthy but routinely interact with someone or maybe more than someone who is at risk. Because I think that's, that's the group where there's a real question for. If you're healthy and you don't interact with people who are at risk, okay. But I think there's a lot of people out there who do interact with people who are at risk, and that makes it tricky. And whether it's a spouse, a parent, or a kid, uh, whether it's uh, you know asthma or diabetes or age or heart or lung conditions or whatever you know whatever it is, whatever it is, I think those are the people who are really in the gray area. But I think uh, players when they go on campus don't interact with that many people. You know they're a long way from home, so they're not seeing parents and grandparents and that. So, and it sounds like the campuses are opening up as well. Now, when it happens, we'll have to see. Um, there's a part of me that thinks they're, they're getting a little better at treating this and that, you know, there's been more time now to get ventilators and get masks and all that. And so there's some of those things that were issues three months ago. There might still be issues, but not to the same degree. Um, and I also think there's just a certain that people have had enough of being cooped up for as long as they have. And they're not going to go back to it unless the death total really soars. And I think the other question is, you know, is the virus mutating and not going to be as dangerous? So have to watch all of these things and weigh it going forward. But it seems like schools are going to open. It seems like students are going to be back on campus in some numbers. Maybe not the, uh, you know, the full campus. There'll still be stuff online, but there'll be a hybrid. And that athletes are coming back. And we're going to have stories now over the next week and a half as different campuses open up, whether the date's June 8th or June 15th or whatever. Uh, we're going to have stories. That here, here they come. 
and we'll see how it works out. As other leagues have opened up, we've seen positive tests, but we've seen lower numbers. Um, now, it was one test to Rudy Gobert, two if you can't him Donovan Mitchell eventually, but when they canceled the game, it was just Rudy. When they shut down the league, they didn't know about Donovan yet. Um, but one test isn't going to do that anymore. Yeah, we're, in a, we're in a different place now for different reasons. So, football, the countdown on. Last year was 100 days to the 100th game. And uh, now we're already inside of three months. All right, when we come back, uh, updates on the NBA. The news has been coming out over the last 24 hours. The vote is later today. We got some of the numbers. We got some of the parameters. Uh, What does it mean and what does it mean for the Jazz? And we will get to that next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. All right, people. I was just talking about football, and here it comes. There's some things to watch for. There's some things to worry about, uh, but it's coming. Basketball. There's things to watch for. There's things to worry about, but it's coming. And now we know uh, some details. Actually, late during the show yesterday, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN. Woj, he's got his league sources, uh, was uh, feeding his details one after another. First stuff we learned was a July 31 through October 12 schedule in Orlando. Uh, late in the show, it came out eight regular season games, 22 teams, 13 from the West, nine from the East. The West has been more competitive. The bottom of the East is bad. You know, there's been an East-West imbalance for a long time, but it's kind of riding itself in the middle and the top of the league. There's still a little bit. Uh, in my mind, of the three best teams in the league, two are in the West. Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. Uh, you want to slice and dice the numbers, you might come up with something different. I get that. But in my mind, those are the three best teams through 60, you know, five-ish games. But what you can't doubt, and I think you can go down through the middle of the league, you know, teams four, five, six. A gap, sure, but not a huge gap. The Jazz split with most of the best teams in the East, right? Uh, they split with the Sixers. They split with the Celtics. You know, you, you go through it, and they, they split with most of the teams. They split with the Bucks. They split with most of the teams in the East. Uh, I think you go through the four, five, six. But I think where it, where it really starts to change is you get down to uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wow, the bottom of the East is way worse. Then there's more of them. You know, and I think we're seeing that with why they're bringing back thirteen and nine, because there are these five teams within six games in the West. And there's only one within six games in the East. The bottom of the East really falls off and falls away. So those teams are going to be left. 22 are going to play. They're going to play eight games. There's going to be some type of play-in tournament. And the eight seeds are going to be vulnerable. Uh, but I don't think it'll go beyond that. And I think you'll see, once we get to 16, I think you'll see a traditional format. Um, well, maybe not completely traditional. Mostly traditional. I don't think we're going to see him shortening series to best you know, best three. It used to be, there's been all kinds of talk, you know, do you resuscitate? The opening round used to be best two or three. Should we go back to that? And then it was best three or five. Should we go back to that? No, I don't think we should. Um, And staying there through October 12. We'll see after the Board of Governors vote and all the, all the details that come out. Some of them are out now, but we'll, we'll see if there's 
some options. I think the vote's largely going to be a rubber stamp, but there might be a little wiggle room on a couple things, and some more stuff's been floated out, so I know that's out there, and we don't need to dig through all the, all the minutiae. I think the question here is, how does all this going to impact the Jazz? And how long is it going to take for you as fans to really get into it when they get back? You're not going to be able to go to a home game because there aren't going to be home games. Uh, they will be on TV and accessible. And I suppose that I would think logically they would try to stagger the start times. You know, they're going to have multiple games in the day. The Eastern teams will play first and, and try to get well, what baseball is going to do, where, you know, they're, they're trying to set it up in baseball. Uh, in this shortened season so that the National League West and American League West teams play inside their divisions and they play the other league. You know, the NL West plays the AL West. But they don't send teams cross-country and they don't deal with these 4.30 start times. Or for the East Coast teams coming out to the West Coast, you know, the Mets come out to the Bay Area and L.A. and they're starting their games. The Mets and Yankees and Red Sox and Phillies are starting their games at 10.30 at night and they're going until, you know, 1.30 in the morning. I mean, that's crazy. So I expect we'll get semi-normal start times uh, for Jazz games. We may have some 8.30, 8, 8.30 games, but I think we'll also have some 6 and 7 o'clock games. But eight regular season games, which if you're playing every other day is about two and a half weeks. And I was telling you yesterday, I thought it'd be in the two to three week window. Just how much time's available and the fact they need to get to 70 games to pay these regional TV networks uh, makes sense. Now, the Jazz have not been a team that's had a, you know, covered themselves in glory early in the season. They've had slow starts in multiple years. Are they going to be able to get back and and really be clicking right from the get-go? Is eight games enough for them to play their best basketball? And that's one question. The other is, how do they make up for Bogdanovich? And I think that's a big deal. He opens the floor for everybody because he is absolutely respected. I mean, that guy shoots... He's going to shoot six, seven, eight three pointers a game, and any given night, you know, he's going to make forty or forty-five percent of those three pointers. So teams don't want to leave him, so this is a, a huge challenge. And I don't think it falls to any one guy. I think when we've talked to people, most of them look right at Conley because he's been a twenty-point game scorer. You know, for him in his early in his career in Memphis, eighteen, nineteen, twenty points a game, totally doable, totally doable. So. Can he do that now? But I don't think it's just him. I think it's a bigger role for Ingles. I think it's a bigger role for Niang. And you know, how are these guys all gonna all gonna play? I think um, as they try to make up for one of the bigger guys and play smaller lineups, I think Moody is a huge wild card in all of this. Uh, when he's played, he's had some really good stretches. Now the numbers game, he got squeezed out, but I never really thought he'd played in a way that he needed to have his minutes reduced. He had his minutes reduced because the whole team was healthy. Whenever there was an injury, they could slide guys around. It didn't have to be an injury to someone. Now, sometimes it was, right? When Conley was out, that opened the door for Moutier. But I, I think they can play Moutier with some of the other smaller perimeter players um, whether it's Mitchell, whether it's Conley, whether, uh, you know, Moutier-Clarkson combo, how would they work on the floor together at the same time? I think there could be some upside for Moutier. But the other thing is, despite the fact that the Jazz have guys to fill in, I don't think in the playoffs it usually comes down to your depth. I mean, you want to have it and it helps, but it, it is so much about your star players. It is so hard to score in the fourth quarter of playoff games. And maybe it'll be different this year because everything's going to be different. But it's really about your stars. And I think losing a 20-point-a-game score, it's just hard to say the depth is going to make up for that. In the regular season, in the short run, sure. In the long run, in the playoffs, I have my doubts. I'm not that worried about whether 
they reseed East West one through sixteen, or they play the traditional Eastern and Western Conference playoffs separately, and then the East and West champs meet in the final. I think they ought to go with the traditional format. That's what I would do if it's up to me. This season's wacky enough without doing something wackier. I think the urgency in reseeding everything 1 through 16, there was a lot more urgency for that in my mind when the conferences were more lopsided. They're a little lopsided in it now, but not, I mean, they're never going to be exactly even. So the fact the West is a little better than the East and a little deeper than the East and it's two of the top three teams. Well, somebody has to have two of the top three teams. You can't split them evenly. They can't each have one and a half of the best three teams. So I don't think you need to overreact and do something. The one through 16 did look like a good idea a few years ago. You know, when you're sitting there and four of the top five teams are in one conference, when you think seven of the top 10 teams are in one conference, reseeding one through 16 was really appealing at that point. But you were always going to have teams on both coasts who want no part of that because the fear of flying, and, and the Jazz are a little, you know, we're a third of the way in from the West Coast, you know, about, a, what, 800, 1,000 miles in, whatever it is. So it could be bad for the Jazz, but it could be horrible for the the Blazers, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers. It could be horrible for the Celtics, um, the Sixers, uh, theoretically speaking, the Knicks or the Nets. <laughs> I know, they haven't been in a situation. But these East Coast, the Heat, um, the Hawks and Hornets, if they ever got their acts together, w- to not just have one playoff series where you're flying coast to coast, but to have multiple back-to-back, especially if you're going with back-to-back series and then the, and you advance and you overcome that and you're flying all these coast-to-coast flights for a month and then you play someone who hasn't had to do it, I think the Coast teams think they're opening a can of worms. So I don't, I don't think either of the East or West Coast teams are really going to want that. Maybe they'll do it as a one-off here. Um, personally, personally, I wouldn't. So the question for the Jazz is, um, you know, which playoff format do you use? I think when you lost Bogdanovich, I don't think it matters a lot. I think the Jazz will have a chance to win in the first round, probably be underdogs, but they'll have a chance to win. Um, not huge underdogs, you know, kind of a 60-40 kind of situation. Uh, and then if they do advance, they'll be huge underdogs in the second round, which has kind of been the story the last three years. And I don't think they've fundamentally altered where they are in the league. I think they've improved incrementally themselves. And I think if they played the full 82 games, we would have seen that in the regular season win total. But the rest of the league has gotten better too. It's, it's the worst case scenario for a team in a smaller midsize market in a colder weather market, a less glamorous market. You know, the um, the Lakers and the Clippers, you know, they they leveraged the free agent market. And, I mean, the Lakers didn't sign a free agent, you know, as a trade, but they leveraged the free agent market. And, you know, other teams got way better very quickly. So when you're making incremental progress, yeah, you pass some teams, but you fell some behind some teams. Yeah, you caught the Warriors because of their injuries, but the Lakers caught you because of their move with Anthony Davis. And I think looking ahead past this season, you know, I think the Warriors are going to be back. Now, I think worst case scenario for the Warriors, they come back in that group, that 4-5-6 group, with the Jazz and the Thunder and the Rockets. And I think that's, that's worst case scenario. You never know what a team's health is going to be or how guys are going to come back from these injuries. Uh, they're also aging. To, they're going to be eighty percent of themselves, ninety-five percent of themselves, or whatever. Um, best case scenario, you know, they hit on they hit on a draft pick, 
because they're going to have a good one. They hit on a draft pick, and they are right back in the championship mix. Fresher, they got something to prove. They've had a year off, and it is go time for Curry and Thompson, whoever they add. So for the Jazz, I think it's a big hill. Um, I don't think the playoff format really matters. I think in either situation, the first round will be close to a toss-up. The Jazz will probably be an underdog. And then the second round, they'd be a huge underdog. All right, we'll find out the details for sure. There's stuff being floated out there. Um, I think most of us probably spot on. There might be some wiggle room for the Board of Governors for a last-minute kind of tweak today. But I think by the time it becomes official, it'll be unanimous. They won't worry about what they wanted that didn't happen, and it'll be uh, you know full steam ahead uh, to get this going on July 31st and finish the NBA season and make a lot of money for the league and the players. And never forget all the people who work behind the scenes, some of whom have been laid off, some of whom have been furloughed, some of whom have taken pay cuts. Um, you know That's a factor, too. I know it's mostly about the owners and the players, and they're going to get most of the money. But those other people, there are a lot of them. We know them, and uh, they count, too. And we don't know them of every team. We know them here in Utah. But uh, for 30 teams around the league, it's an issue. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, uh, Guy Holiday, Utah assistant football coach, was at BYU. Before that, uh, he was with Cornell. He was with UTEP. He's been in the SEC. And... Everything we've all watched on TV, uh, the protests, the riots, the looting, the root causes of it. Uh, For a guy who grew up in Baltimore, what does he think when he watches this? How have his perceptions of Utah changed over time? First at BYU, now here at Utah, coming here like like 2013. So what, like uh, six, seven, going on eight years? Uh, Guy Holiday, really interesting stuff. Next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now. By Guy Holiday, wide receivers coach at Utah. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Guy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Uh, You know, we're all right. It hasn't been the best three months, certainly. There's been a lot going on, and we could probably talk to you for a couple hours because we've talked to you (laughs) up at the U. You know, for people who don't know you, you know, you grew up in Baltimore, uh, you went to college in Pennsylvania, and you've coached all over the country, you know, starting with some small schools and then you know, some bigger schools. Uh, but you've been in Atlanta, in Alabama, in Michigan. You got to the SEC at Michigan State, Cornell, so you've been in the Ivy League, and then UTEP, BYU, and Utah. So you've recruited a lot of people. You've been in a lot of parts of the country. You know things aren't the same everywhere, but there's common stuff. And before we get to all the coronavirus stuff, which we want to get to as the school reopens, you're like everybody else. You've been watching and listening to what's going on. And I'm just curious, you know, a lot of it's been discussed, but are there points that are getting missed? Are there points you really want to emphasize? Yeah, I, I, I think it does. I, if you look at it, I mean, I was born in 68, so um, I get it, or 69, actually, I get it. And, um, you know, I've seen the civil unrest before uh, people, you know, 
and I think what you're seeing right now, uh, you know, we were all pissed, and I, I shouldn't say we. I should say a lot of people were pissed when Colin Kaepernick and a couple other players took a knee. But we wanted to find how they protest. It was peaceful, but we never listened to the message. We were upset that they protest. And so now you're dealing with people who are saying, well, if we can't protest peacefully, you know, things aren't changing for us. Nothing changed from the Colin Cap since the Colin Kaepernick protest. Nothing. And there are no actions being put in place that help people feel more comfortable with the system, per se. And until that happens, you're going to have civil unrest. We're going to go right back to this. This is all going to die down. It always does. Um, you're going to have civil unrest again. And people forget in the rioting and, and, and the destruction in the late 60s and all the protests, there was action taken. There was a civil rights voters bill passed. There was uh, more attention paid to equality. And then we kind of just let it go by. And uh, so we have to keep progressing as people. And, uh, you know, I know I read Spike Lee's comments and some people took it as um, as negative, but it was very positive because what he was really saying is there are not. And if you look at our demographics, there is not a large representation of minorities in the state of Utah. If you look at the demographics, which is all people can look at online. But if you're here, particularly in Salt Lake City, this, it is extremely diverse. So what Spike Lee was saying is that my white brothers and sisters are standing up for equality. And that's something positive because that's something that in some of the other protests in, in the past you didn't see. But now you do because back in the 60s you saw it. It was, of course, the uh, Jewish community from up north who was very active in the civil rights movements. And, and so we just need to understand there's two sides of every story. And uh, I wish we could just eliminate the uh, um, eluding the, the, uh, the acts of violence. But we also need a, a uniting voice. You know, we, we can stand there, and I'm, I'm not one, I'm not a political person, say, hey, we got to be more violent, more aggressive with people. Well, aggression meets aggression. And that's always going to be. And, and the perce your perception is reality. And at some point, we need calmer voices to come along and say, um, you know, let's sit down at the table. Let's have some serious resolution to the issues. But we first have to acknowledge that the issues exist. And there's so many people in our country that don't even want to acknowledge that, yes, there are some issues within our own country. We're not perfect. How are we going to resolve them? Because that's how this country was built, through resolve. And uh, until we do that, I, I think you're going to continue to see uh, whether it's this year, whether it's 10 years from now, you're going to continue to see the civil un unrest. And, uh, you know, we all have different stereotypes uh, of what we think. And, and the only way you can break the stereotype is drop your guard and get involved one-on-one -on -one with the people that you have these concepts about or these fears about. And, uh, you know, and I get it. I get it on both sides of the story. I mean, I grew up in in a in a very um, rough neighborhood. I mean, it's no doubt about it, and very confrontational neighborhood, very violent neighborhood. And if I was a police officer, you know, I don't know that I would want to come into my community 
and uh, and not be on edge, not be at a heightened awareness. Uh, but with that said, I also take a, a you know an oath to serve and protect. And uh, so you know what you're signing up for. And as unfair as it is, it's like the military. You know what you're signing up for. No one said that Iraq or Iran is going to be these safe havens that you go into and nothing's going to happen. But you still have to treat people with common respect. And that goes on both sides. And and to me, that is uh, what's lost here, just the common respect. And then the, the uh, understanding of each person's position. Instead, now we're using it to divide and conquer. Uh, and and that's that's what's frightening to me because the the these people's stories aren't being heard any longer, and and God bless George Floyd's family and and him himself who who gave his life, but his life is given in vain if we don't have any any resolve to any of this, and uh, and it can't be just burning and looting stores. That's not the way you do it, but. That's not the only thing happening out there. That's just what's being broadcasted. Um, I actually rode down to, to Salt Lake City, and, and uh, uh, two days ago, we drove. I drove through in the morning, and it was really great to see people cleaning the buildings. Who were some of the protesters and dialoguing with state troopers at the Capitol, and, and just more of that needs to happen. More, more of us uh, need to understand the frustrations of our young people because they're real and uh, this is what they know this is what they think and you know it's funny I grew up in a time being a having an African-American mom and having a Samoan dad and having long hair and uh, in my community that wasn't accepted so you could only be black it wasn't it, people didn't even know what Samoan was or Polynesian was on the east coast and they still um, uh, very rarely do you know they the only thing they know is Hawaiian and uh, but my message to everybody is we, we need to sit down. We need to try to be understanding, stop condemning each other. And, and let's start to make some positive gains towards what the issues really are. And let's not shut it off. Let's listen. Just because we haven't experienced police brutality or just because we haven't experienced the racial prejudices, let's not be so arrogant to say, well, that really doesn't exist because I haven't seen it. Uh, and I, I think that's what we we miss as people. You know, we want to dismiss people uh, based on our own experiences. Well, unfortunately, you know, in life, you don't get to experience everything that everybody else has. And uh, so we, we need to open up our minds, open up our hearts and... Um, you know, I, I think if we approach this in the right manner, I think Salt Lake City has done an unbelievable job with its police forces and, and how to handle it. And I think other places, you know, there's a criminal element. Let's let's be honest. And how do you deal with them? You know, I, I don't have all the answers. To that fortunately, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, but I do know this: we need a voice that's unifying, not divisive. Well, Coach, there's only about 500 things there that I could hit that you just said, but we can't do that. I'll play a one thing that really struck with me when you said when you get to know them, 
And I've always thought that was the key. And then you later mentioned the one-on-one level. And one of the things that's always fascinated me as we see these people protesting, a lot of them are young people. And they are the demographic, basically, of what a college football team is. And I have seen this time and time again. I lived in Los Angeles in 1992. I was there. My wife taught in South Central, 90% African-American at the school at Washington. And I saw that, well, if you got to know people, they no longer became fill-in-the-blank, whatever ethnicity. They became the person, whatever that person's name is. And I use a great example here, uh, your your football team, when you're playing in that Dallas Bowl game, and they bring in Troy Williams, who had been a senior and started as a junior. We know his story. And he played at Narbonne. My wife actually taught at Narbonne, too. I covered Narbonne, so I know about that community. And he faked that his shoe came untied, and he's an African-American, to let Drew Lisk, uh, a Caucasian kid, get in the ball game. My kids went to Jordan, so I have both those schools right there. And I look at your football team, and football teams really, and athletic teams across the country, you bring in all these people, young people, and they find ways to get along because they know each other. Isn't that the key? If you look to a sports team, and you guys are, your football team's diverse, they get to know each other, and they're not a black person. They're actually Troy Williams, not a black person. Obviously, he's black, but he's a person. And Drew Lisk is a white guy, but he's not a white guy. He's Drew Lisk. And these two people knew each other, and they have feelings for them. Is that what it's all about, getting to know people on an individual level? There's no question. You know, sports is one of the um, – it's really funny. You look at Major League Baseball, and, um, you know, in our country, we have a, uh, a very negative – view of, uh, in my opinion, of the Hispanic population and how we view them. But you look at Major League Baseball, and Hispanics are at the top of Major League Baseball, the Hispanic community, and we accept them. Sports is really the unifying, uh, uh, I guess, the unifying causes. You know, it is one of the only places where regardless of your race, uh, regardless of your sex, when you talk about uh, women's sports also, where you can put all these different people in a locker room and, uh, and they learn to get along and, uh, and they learn because they're fighting for one cause. Now, they all live their own separate lives, which we understand, but there is a point where I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And you, you have that code and you live by it. And it doesn't matter what race you are. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I, uh, you know, Troy Williams, unbelievable. Uh, you know, Bradley and I, who just left the University of Utah. But it goes past that. One of the best people I've ever met. Uh, and I'm talking about as a competitor, as an athlete, and as a human being was Taysom Hill. And uh, I have so much respect for him. And... I don't when uh, uh, when Jordan came here with me, uh, Jordan Leslie, and and that was one of the people that he bonded with, Taysom Hill, you know, and and so it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know. We sports helps you have a common cause, and until we can find a common ground where we can sit down and be for each other versus against each other. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to change. And that's what sports is a unifying cause. And uh, it doesn't matter 
you know, in the locker room, if you're white, if you're if you're Samoan, if you're Tongan, if you're Mexican, if you're Honduran, if you're black, it doesn't matter. You know what matters if you can play, and and you're judged on your talent. You're not judged on your color, and uh, and that's where it's different. Now, you know, one of the things I I, I think that are, are so important that's really uh, frustrating for me is is that I see that every day. I see young people who get along, who love one another, who, um, you know, will go their own separate ways in life, and they'll carry these values with them. So prejudice is taught, okay? The fear of um, the young people who are different than us, who maybe they have uh, long hair that was down in Salt Lake, and maybe they're not your... Uh, typical, what we classify how a young person should look. Maybe he is a skateboarder. Maybe he is tattooed up. It doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him different than us. And just if he's not, uh, maybe he's Baptist. Maybe he's, um, maybe he just doesn't believe. It doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him different. And diversity is what makes the world grow. And without, if everybody thought the same and did the same, I, I, I just don't think we'd be very successful as a country. So we need to start embrace, embracing what the country was founded on, and that's our diversity. And, and, and embrace, embrace the different cultures. And because in each culture, there's something that we can learn, and there's something that, that will help us grow as people. But if we stand back and we back up into our corner, and put on our our proud uh, chest plate of armor and say, my way is the right way, then automatically we're alienating everybody else outside. And until we can become accepting of other people's uh, beliefs, of other people's uh, value systems, of other people's races, and not try to change them into what we want them to fit into, this square peg, we're going to or, or square box. We're going to be better off as people, and and start accepting that that we aren't perfect. We're just sitting here judging others instead of uh, helping solve the solution. Because you're right. When you go and you work in the South Central, and and uh, and I moved from LA in 1991, and you work in these these different places, you know, you realize that they're just people. When I look at our football team, I don't say, man. You know, this guy's white or this guy's black. I see a I see a good person that happens to be a really good football player, and and it all starts with are they a good football player? And then you, of course, look at the person and and all those. But generally, most really good players are really good people because they have that work ethic and um, they have the discipline. And of course, you do have some that that aren't. But I don't look at them as black as black or white. I don't walk into my into a staff meeting and say, oh, that's the white coach, he's against the black players. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as if we're all there for a common purpose and a common reason. And uh, that's what makes the, that's why I'm in the sport. That's what makes it fun. Because I can touch lives regardless of the color. Guy Holiday, Utah wide receivers coach, joining us. And you talk about uh, being down in L.A. or growing up in that neighborhood, you grew up in Baltimore where you recognize police have to be on edge when they come in. And there's a certain level of desperation there. And I'm just wondering to what degree, yes, a lot of this is about police brutality, obviously. 
but how much of this is also about hopelessness and how much of this is about just crushing poverty day after day, not being able to eat every day, not having a roof over your head, not having access to transportation or medicine? See, I I think that's that's a uh, probably most valid point is that, yeah, some of it is, you know, obviously about police brutality, but a lot of it is about the everyday frustration uh, of life. And, um, you know, I was very, very, very fortunate in West Baltimore where we um, we had an opportunity. We had what was called um, uh, citywide schools that had specific majors. And when you weren't recruited there, you had to apply and get in. It wasn't like that anybody could just go there. It wasn't about sports. It wasn't built on sports. It wasn't like we just happened to be really good in football and basketball at Dunbar. But what it, it gave you a chance to see was people who looked like you that excelled. Uh, people whose parents were lawyers, people whose parents were doctors. I had my dad uh, died in Vietnam when I was two years old. Never even got to see me. I think I was one and a half to be exact. And never got a chance to see me. And uh, I had a, a family, uh, the King's, uh, and the Matthews, two families. So I went to school with their kids. Well, they both were from two parent homes. Um, uh, Mr. Marcus, Matthew Marcus, is still alive today. He's in his 90s. Uh, he was a principal at a middle school and, um, you know, very disciplined. And, and Marty King, Martin King the third. his dad was Martin King also, uh, um, his family, his dad was an accountant, owned his own accounting firm. I didn't even know what an accountant was growing up, um, you know. So he just and drove a nice car, but they went to work every day. You know, wasn't driving a nice car selling drugs on the corner. They they put work in and and their futures, and they went to college. And that's what ultimately helped me decide that college was what I wanted to do because I had a chance to see it. I had a chance to talk to it. I had a chance to touch it. So now you're in communities where uh, basically, you know, with the zone school system, which I understand, but, you know, you don't have in, in Baltimore, Maryland, for instance, for instance, it, you know, even though you grew up in a poverty stricken community right next door, uh, within a quarter mile walk was a middle-class neighborhood and within a mile's walk was a upper-class neighborhood and so you integrated with these kids in elementary school you you got to see parents who excelled and kids who lived a different way and um it was it was really moving it, it was really moving for me as a young person to know that there is another way out and and I think right now what you're seeing in, in the streets that are bearing out is people who, who don't feel there's another way out. They just don't see it. And it's easy living in middle-class America, upper-middle-class America to say, oh, they're so ignorant. They're so ignorant. They're so trifling. They're just, no, but you don't live it. You haven't been down there. You don't understand, you know. I get it. I, I get that drugs has ravaged West Baltimore. I mean, when I go back there, it's moving for me as a person to see 
a community, you know, or, or people that's lost, you know, they, they don't have a way out and, and per se, unless they're that one, two, three percent of the people that are motivated uh, in a different way. And, and the other thing that, that has really transpired, you know, when I was growing up in the old um, uh, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a family, to raise a child. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. We don't do that anymore. We don't get involved in other with other people's children. We don't correct them. We we fear them more than anything. Now we don't reach down and take a, a young person under our wing to try to help and guide them. And without guidance, without hope, um, what do you want them to resort to? A fictional character on TV? You know that oh, you want them to be the next Michael Jordan because that's. In our communities, in African-American community, that's what we glorify, mainly LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. You know, we see them, well, you may not be able to play basketball or football. You know, you may not. We need to start glorifying other African-Americans, people who look like them that have been successful. And uh, we don't do that enough, in my opinion. You know, we, we do. We glorify athletes. Uh, way too too much in our communities, and and, and it's it's unfortunate because those kids don't see another way. So the two things that they see in those community, in those communities, if you can be a great athlete, or you can be a great drug dealer, you know, we we got to show them what's in between those two, and uh, and how do you get out of those uh, out of the the hood, as I say, with your mind and not your body. And uh, we got to learn to develop the minds of our young people. And I, I would suggest that any person who uh, has never gone into an inner city public school to see how uh, most of them don't have computers. Uh, the books are still from 1970. And uh, instead of thinking about yourself, think about that child uh, who doesn't really have a chance to succeed just based on what he's given. And he already feels cheated if he goes to another another school just to see what they have. You know, it's little things like that that, um, you know, we got to change at some point. Thanks, Coach. Really appreciate this. Coach, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time and your perspective sharing it with us here for a few minutes this morning. Well, I hope I didn't take up too much time. Nope, you really couldn't. And um, it's always a pleasure being on with you guys. And, and um, you know, I, I love the state of Utah. I love the city of Salt Lake City. Um, my, my eight years here, and I have nothing but good things to say about it. And um, I, I, I wish everybody would, would come in. Uh, I tell every parent that I've ever recruited, come see it. It's not what you think it is. And, and that's one of the problems. We need to go see things so that we can get a real value a real picture on what it really is and not what we think it is. Yeah. Well, you know, it probably goes the same way. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I've been to Baltimore once very briefly and I went to an Orioles game. So there I am living, living my sportscaster stereotype. But I had a friend who went and taught in Baltimore and said, of all the things you don't know, one is that all the kids are taught not to get a drink at the drinking fountain at school because there's so much lead in the water. 
you know, and you didn't you didn't even have time to get to that. You listed a whole bunch of things. That would be correct. Right, things you take for granted, being able to get a drink of water at school just because you're thirsty on a hot See, day. See, now I know that you've really been to Baltimore. Yeah. That, that much I know because you do not drink the water from the fountain. Yeah. That, that's, that's really good. Well, I, I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll get through this, and we'll get through COVID-19, and, and um, man, as soon as we get back to – having football and I can go back into the office. I'm going to be really excited. <laughs> coach, thanks for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys. There's Guy Holiday, receivers coach for the University of Utah. And if you came in partway through that one, hear all of Guy Holiday's interview, go to 1280thezone.com. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.